The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Trying to get down the last little bit of bacon. <laughs> so I, this morning, in the midst of your baconness, I want to encourage you to bacon, bacon, in the name of bacon. I thought I would do the whole sermon like that and see what happens. We might have revival. <laughs> Seriously, so grateful for all of the dads. Uh, my dad, I was able to be in our service today. I'm just so grateful for all of you guys that are out there that give tirelessly, that work tirelessly, that give selflessly and sacrificially. But sometimes in the midst of all the giving and serving and loving, we get worn out. And so maybe you can relate, with, to, relate to what I'm saying, that there comes moments in life when you just want to hit the eject button and you want to escape. For me, I can remember when our girls were little um, and you know, when you have like an infant or a little one in the house and I mean, almost every day I would come home from work and I can remember the same feeling. I knew what I was gonna see when I walked through the door. All of them were gonna be crying. Laura was gonna be standing at the door and they, nobody was gonna give me a hug. They were just gonna be like, here, this one has a dirty diaper. I need to get in the shower, you're in charge. And I'd be like, ah! And so I would drive up into my parking spot, sit in the car and be like, where's my bacon? I got this. I got, and so you know exactly what I mean. And now 12 years later, I got a two year old, I got a little guy and now I got a three month old in the house. And so like with five kids, we're all trying to hide. Because like I, I, I every moment of every day, there is a need, right? And so like Laura will call like one of the girl's names. And no matter what you need done, they're always hiding because everybody's trying to shirk responsibility and escape. So there's doors locked. People are like, eh, yeah, you know how it works. Like, hey, I need somebody to clean up this mess on aisle five. And whew, everybody runs and hides, including me. I'm like, la, 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 I hear nothing. And uh, I, okay, so as a result, we have these moments when we just wanna run away and hide and escape. Maybe for you, and this is probably the most obvious category, maybe you're going through a season of pain, hardship, frustration, difficulty, loss, tragedy. And as a result, you do want to just escape from life. And that's totally understandable, but there's a whole other category and it's surprising that you and I want to escape. Meaning life is going right. And yet you're having to work really hard to keep it all together. And you don't even know why you're frustrated. And if I were to talk about your feelings, if you're a guy, you're like, what are these feelings you speak of? You have no idea what I'm talking about, but you know that you, you understand that there are seasons of life when things are going right and well, and yet you're frustrated and you want to hit the eject button, and yet you're confused as to why you feel worn out wanting to escape, and you might be suffering the same syndrome that Elijah suffered. Elijah was this guy who was called to be a messenger of God. I mean, talk about a pretty, talk about a big job description. Talk about a, an overwhelming responsibility when you go to work every day. I have to speak the message of God. 
And so God would sometimes just give him words to say. Other times would show up in the miraculous and the spectacular, and he would have to like perform these supernatural feats. And so on, we're gonna look at one particular day in Elijah's life. It's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19, but I'm just gonna kind of quickly bring you up to speed here. The nation of Israel had rejected God. So God put it on Elijah's heart to go to the king and say, I wanna call a spiritual duel. The 850 priests who are leading the nation into evil and away from God, I'm gonna confront them on top of the green mountain called Mount Carmel. And so they march up the mountain and he says to them, you 850 priests, you offer an animal sacrifice, put it on an altar, and then you pray. And if your God sends fire, he's God. When you're done, I'm gonna offer a sacrifice on an altar, but without, without fire. And if my God sends fire, he's God. They pray all day, no fire. Elijah prays, God, would you show that you are the real and true God? And fire comes and consumes not only the animal sacrifice, but the wood and the rocks and the water that they had poured over the whole thing. And it was obvious to everyone that God really is God and he is the Lord over the nation of Israel. And a great revival breaks out, meaning people in mass begin to turn back to God and repent of their wrong way of living and begin to worship God. Immediately, Elijah rallies the people to reject these false prophets, and so they grab swords, and they, they go to battle, and they kill all of these false evil prophets because they had to remove this evil from their nation. That sounds horrific in this time and era, but in an ancient time, that was the response of purging the evil from the land. But it doesn't even stop there. There had been a three-year drought, and so by the time they finish battle, Elijah runs back up the mountain, gets on his hands and knees, and begins to pray. God, would you send rain on our land again? And he begins to pray over and over and over. Seven times he prays for God to send rain. And on the seventh time, he, he sees a small little cloud off in the distance as if you were to put your hand up like this. That was the size of the cloud. And so he tells his servant to go to the king, tell the king to get on his chariot and get as fast as he can away from Mount Carmel because he's about to be overtaken by a storm. That's faith, to see a little cloud the size of a man's hand and say, run, because you're about to get swamped by a, a flash flood. So, a lot, so King Ahab gets on his chariot and begins to race toward his queen in Jezreel. Elijah is not done yet. He gets so pumped up. It's like he's on a God adrenaline rush that he starts running. He wants to get to Queen uh, Jezebel before King Ahab does. And so he outruns the chariot 15 miles. Talk about a long work day. And he does it. He outruns the chariot of the king, which, you know, would have a pretty good horse. And he, he gets there before King Ahab does. But when he gets there, he's disappointed because the queen is not at all excited about this spiritual revolution that Elijah has led. And she sends an edict out for a bounty on Elijah's head. And that's where our story is going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. When he gets there, he hears word that Queen Jezebel says, I want Elijah dead. Verse three, Elijah was afraid. What? He just called fire from heaven. He just prayed and God sent a storm and rain. And now he's afraid and he ran for his life. 
When he came to Beersheba in Judah, okay, you have no idea where Beersheba is. Beersheba would be the southernmost point in the nation of Israel, which is 100 miles south of Jezreel, which is 15 miles south of Mount Carmel. He just ran another 100 miles. While he himself then went another day's journey about 10 miles into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have finished a couple, you know, like six marathons, and every time when I sit down, I go, I want to die. Kill me. Some of you, 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 you know, you moms, you're trying to take care of all the kids, and you're like, you sit down at the end of the day, and you're like, somebody kill me. Maybe, maybe you've worked, maybe you work two jobs, and you've exhausted yourself, and you know exactly what Elijah's going through. You sit down after a long day and you're like, I just want to die. Some of you just finished school and you, you finished your exams and your finals are done and you, maybe you got home from college or you, you finished school and you're like, somebody just shoot me. <laughs> hey, don't shoot the messenger. Just saying, all right? And so this is exactly how Elijah feels. And so he prays and he says, he prayed that he might die. Take my life. I know I am no better than my ancestors. But some of you are reading this or hearing this. You're like, what? Here is this guy. He has no reason to be frustrated. I mean, he's, he's living on the mountaintop, literally, of life experiences. He's had success after success in his work. He's had multiple powerful successes spiritually. I mean, he's led a national revolution to overcome evil and to wipe out wrongdoing. He has invited his entire nation back to serving God and loving God, and he's running for his life. Why? It's not because he's afraid to die. Because he says, God, kill me. So what is going on here? Well, after this happens, God invites him into a prayer conversation. And God says, what are you doing? So Elijah answers, honestly. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Meaning, God, I've been working really hard for you. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and have put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Hey, if you're in a place where you're worn out, you're wanting to hit the eject button, it might be because you're burning out. And you might not even know what to look for. You might not even realize what's causing burnout. And so let me draw from this story some of the causes for burnout. I'm just kind of walk you through this quickly. Uh, first, normal life will burn you out. Because normal life is not designed to fuel, but to empty you. Normal life will leave you exhausted and depleted rather than energized and fueled. This is why you can go on vacation and come back from vacation and say... I need a vacation from my vacation. Because no matter what you're doing, life doesn't fuel, it drains. So if you're burned out, it might be because you're living normal life. But then add on the highs. Elijah has these high spiritual moments. He has this highly charged emotional moment, this highly charged spiritual moment. Highs in life will burn you out quicker than normal life. Why? Because you're fueling yourself on the adrenaline of the high. You think that that success, that promotion, that financial gain, that, that great business contract, you think that the new marriage or a new baby or whatever exciting things are happening in your life is going to fuel you. And then you get into it, and it doesn't. It drains you faster. 
because it requires more emotional energy, more mental capacity, a greater spiritual resource. Highs will burn you out. And then beyond highs, running hard will burn you out. I see the way some of you work. You get more done in a day than most people get done in a week. I see this in our own church office. We got a hardworking staff. I mean, they get a lot done. And I'm trying to lead the charge and I think we get more done in a, in a year than a lot of businesses get done in a decade. And I love it. It excites me. I see some of you, that's the way you work. You go, go, go. You're working long hours. You fall in bed, totally exhausted, having given everything you got. And then the alarm goes off in a few hours and you're right back to it. And so you're like me and you drink several cups of coffee just to get yourself going and you charge in the day and you run on espresso and you eat, you know, chocolate covered espresso beans and bacon to keep yourself going. And you're like, ah, and then at some point you crash and burn and you're like, I don't know what happened. How did I get to this point? Are you kidding me? If you're running hard and you're not properly taking care of yourself, you're going to burn out. But Elijah's not just running hard. Elijah starts running scared. Do you notice it? He was afraid and he ran for his life. If you're running scared, you're not actually running. You're being chased. And a lot of us are running hard because we're running scared because we're being chased by our fears. Elijah's fear was not fear for his life, right? Because he said, God, kill me. What was he afraid of? He was afraid of failure. And some of us, we're afraid of failure. And so we're running hard. We don't, we don't want to let our boss down or we don't want to lose that contractor. We, we're trying to hold life together. We think we're the provider for our family. I have to protect. I have to do it all. And so we're carrying an exorbitant amount of weight because we're afraid to let people down or we're afraid of failure. And so fear is chasing us and it's running us ragged. Others, what does Elijah do? This causes... Burnout, he isolates himself. He withdraws from his friends. He withdraws from his servant who's helping him and he goes off by himself. And when you get alone off by yourself, you will burn out because you were designed to live in community, to be in a life group, to be in meaningful relationships. And when you withdraw, you will burn out because you cannot do life alone. And when you try to do life alone, you will get depleted because you cannot be the fuel for your own life. And then finally, the last thing you notice that Elijah does that causes burnout is this. Let me read it to you. I'm gonna read you just a couple quick phrases. Verse four, he, this is his prayer. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. And then down in verse 10, he says, I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Right, and I was like, wah, wah, wah. wine, wine, wine. No, but what is he saying? Here's what he's doing. He's comparing, excuse me, it was very emotional for me, all this bacon. Um, he starts comparing himself with others. I'm no better than these people. And then he goes, but I'm the only one left and nobody loves me and everybody hates me and I feel like dying, right? He's whining and what he's doing is he's using pride and jealousy to fuel him and those are poor fuels for life. You, if you're comparing yourself, which means you are motivating yourself by pride or jealousy, you're going to burn out because they are not adequate fuels to sustain normal, healthy life. And what do you see? If you are burning out, how do you recognize it? That's what causes burnout, but what do you see when you start burning out? Well, you, you get depressed. And I don't mean just depressed. We all get depressed at certain points. Oh, my life is frustrating. Oh, I'm so discouraged. I mean depression. You are not just in a rut, you're in a hole. 
or you've pulled back into a cave and you're in hiding. Depression looks like this. This is when you start to have dark thoughts regularly of wanting to escape, of wanting to escape from your normal life, from life itself. That's the danger zone right there. Depression looks like this. It's when you can't get out of bed, when you just start sleeping long hours, when, when, I mean, we all want to sleep in on certain days and maybe you're like me and you have a day a week when you just don't hit, don't set the alarm, just sleep in, please, somebody else take care of the kids. I've got to get some rest, right? That's normal life. But then there's times when you can't get yourself out of bed or you're trying to sneak off to get extra sleep and something is wrong. When, when, you, try to, when you start to withdraw from all of your normal activities and it becomes dysfunctional, that's when you are starting to settle into depression. That is a symptom of burnout. And depression has a way of giving way to despair. In Elijah's life, he doesn't just uh, start having dark thoughts. He, he becomes hopeless and helpless, believing that God's best choice is to kill him. And you're in despair when you feel hopeless and helpless, and you believe that God's best choice for your life is to get you out of it. That's your, your past burnout. You, that's a symptom of the fact that you're burning out. And then a, a symptom of burnout is also isolation. It only causes burnout. It's a symptom of burnout because now you start to push away from the people that you love and you care about and who love you and care about you. If you are withdrawing from meaningful relationships, if you're avoiding friends that you used to like to hang out with, if you're starting to distance yourself from your spouse and your children or your extended family, something is unhealthy and you're about about to crash and burn. And then final thing you notice in Elijah's life is he neglects his health. He stops taking care of himself. He's not eating healthy. He's not drinking water. He just ran 115 miles. He didn't stop and eat. He didn't even fuel himself. Look, I ended up in the ER because I did something like this. While I was on a marathon, I skipped one drink and one gel and I ended up in the ER, right? Because you can't run that long. And no wonder the guy's like, kill me, God. And so if you stop taking care of yourself, you're get, you're, it's a symptom of burnout. But the story is not just about burnout. It's what God does in the middle of burnout. And that's what I want to talk with you about. Maybe you didn't even realize that that's what was going on in your life. God doesn't just point out Elijah's burnout. He steps in and gets involved. And actually, as he speaks to him, in the story, he goes like this, go and stand out in the, on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. He doesn't judge Elijah. He intervenes in Elijah's life. And you and I, we need a similar experience. And the, here, here is what you and I need to recognize and need to hear. The big idea is this. When you're feeling worn out, when you're having a hard time getting out of the car to go in and take care of your family, when you want to withdraw and hide in your bed, when you feel utterly depleted, what is the answer? It's this. You and I need to experience the extraordinary presence of God. That's right. The answer is God's presence. And, and by the way, I am not trying to offer cheap cliches. I'm not trying to ignore sometimes need for counseling or therapy or psychotropic drugs. I realize that there are lots of ways that we can treat symptoms treat the symptoms that are caused by a life that is unsustainable and unhealthy. But I'm talking about the root problem that leads to burnout. That no amount of counseling, no amount of psychiatric help, no amount of self-help books, no amount of self-talk is going to get you out of it or get you through it. Wouldn't that be nice? But it is impossible. Why? 
because you and I do not have access to the fuel that sustains healthy life because at the core of who we are, we have a spiritual problem. Imagine the core of your life, your spirit like a glass that gets dropped and is shattered. We are broken beyond repair as a result of sin. Sin's not a term I came up with. It's a biblical term that even Jesus used to refer to our deepest problem, which is a spiritual brokenness. So if your spirit is shattered, how do you pour fuel in so that it can be held in your life that fuels you? It doesn't work, right? And so we are constantly running on empty. We are constantly at a place close to burnout because we can't hold on to any fuel to sustain us. Well, no wonder that you, we are always in need. Trust me, if counseling, if psychiatry, if any amount of drugs was going to fix the problems in our nation, it would have done it by now. We're a medicated nation. We're a nation seeking mental help. We're a nation constantly in therapy. And I, again, please know, I am in no way belittling that. But all of that, all of that is simply treating symptoms to a much deeper spiritual crisis that only God is the answer for. And so what does God do in Elijah's life? Well, check it out. Elijah prays and says, God, just take my life, kill me. Verse five, then he laid down under the tree and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and he and there by his head was a cake of bacon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that would be epic. That would make this story so much better. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, this is what you get. All right. By his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back in second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. What I want to do through your life is too much for you. You're going to burn out again. You need to eat and drink more. And so he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And here we, here's what we see. God does not condemn Elijah. God fuels Elijah with bread and water and rest. And here's what I want you to know, that Jesus is better than what God gave Elijah. Elijah is a good example for us. But what we see in the life of Elijah is that God gives him, through supernatural provision, bread, water, and rest. When Jesus shows up, he confronts our deepest spiritual problem called sin. Sin that leads to ruin. Sin that leads to burnout. But beyond burnout, it leads to death and eternal judgment. So when Jesus comes, he takes our collective death sentence on himself. He takes our eternal judgment and he absorbs it on the cross. So that when he dies, he dies once for all. So that anybody who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sins. Shame and guilt removed. And in place, he gives forgiveness and love. And when we open our life to Jesus, he, he sends his spirit, which transforms us. He doesn't just take all those broken pieces and put them back together. He gives us a new heart. He transforms our spirit and gives us a brand new life. In essence, he gives us a new cup into our life so that his spirit can fill it and fuel us. When God's spirit is alive in our spirit because we believe in Jesus by faith, he gives us not just new life, but eternal life. 
And when God's spirit is alive in us, here is what we discover when we look at this story. We read about Elijah. God provides bread and water and rest. Jesus is better because Jesus is our, the bread of life. So whatever you're hungry for, Jesus satisfies your deepest hunger. When you're thirsty and you're craving something and you don't quite know what to tap into to quench your deepest thirst, Jesus is the living water. See, Jesus is better than what God provided to Elijah because he is our spiritual thirst quencher. And God put Elijah to sleep. He gave him some supernatural NyQuil but Jesus is better than natural rest because Jesus is our spiritual rest. So that if you're exhausted and you're depleted and you're running on fumes, you will never burn out if Jesus is your source and Jesus is your rest. I am not saying that we don't struggle with that, but we need to find our rest in Jesus. Jesus is better. But it's not just that God feeds him and gives him water and gets him good rest. It's that God walks into a journey to pull him out of burnout. And when you believe in Jesus by faith, you will still find yourself in places where you're worn thin and you feel exhausted and God will walk you through a process. And I wanna walk you through that quickly. And here it is. The first thing you notice is this. In order to experience that extraordinary presence of God, we need to experience the presence of God through our regular personal disciplines. That's right, get back into good healthy habits and you will discover God in the midst of that health. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do today is go home and get some sleep. You need to start developing good habits. Don't stay up late and watch those stupid talk sh shows or stupid you know, comedy, whatever you're, whatever you're doing too late at night, just go to bed. Get some sleep, get up and eat breakfast, eat healthy, get into good, normal, healthy routines, develop some healthy rhythms. If you're married, you need to get back into some good, healthy habits. Maybe the most spiritual and healthy thing you can do today is go home and make love. That's right, I said that. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> um, seriously. Uh, but let, let's go a step further. Uh, night, first kid. <laughs> I need some more bacon. <laughs> this is spiraling out of control. All right. Verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah has just spent 40 days alone with God. And here, here's the next thing you notice. You don't need to just get back into good personal disciplines. We experience the presence of God when we get back into personal relationship with God. What was happening was Elijah was running on the highs of what God can do through him. But I promise you, God is not most concerned about what he can do through you. He is most concerned about knowing you personally. He loves you more than he wants to use you. God is not so much concerned about what he's doing through your life as much as what he wants to do in your life. And you and I need to get back into the basic disciplines of just spending time alone with God. Has it been too long since you've spent time in prayer? Maybe it's been too long since you just spent time reading the word of God. I, I've never met somebody who was burned out who spent regular daily time alone with God in prayer. Because time alone with God is the fuel that fills us 
that motivates us to continue to go through normal life. And the more highs you have in life, the more you need to pull away and spend time alone with God. If you're running hard, you need to spend more time with God. If you're running scared, it's because you need to pull back and spend some time alone with God. If you're isolating yourself in relationships, get alone with God in personal prayer. But then God says, what are you doing here? And the next thing you notice is this. Let me just read this to you. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. That wasn't God. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. He came out to meet God. And what's going on here is this. Elijah had to rediscover the voice of God. If you're gonna experience God's presence in a personal and powerful way that becomes a fuel for your life, you have to rediscover or for the first time, discover the voice of God. Why did God send a wind and an earthquake and fire? Because Elijah had gotten into the habit of only knowing and experiencing God in the miraculous and the spectacular. So he knew God as God the provider. He knew God as God who sends fire and eats up sacrifices. He knew God as the God who sends rain and thunder. He knew God as the one who leads him into battle to destroy evil. He knew God as the one who empowered him to run faster than a chariot. And some of you, you know God as the one who you turn to when you're desperate and you need a healing. Or you turn to God because there's some crisis in your family or your life or your work or your finances and you, you, you've learned to trust God in the miraculous and the spectacular. But you forgot that God wants to know you in the ordinary and the quiet. That God wants to spend time with you on your commute to work. He wants to meet you on your Saturday mornings. He wants to meet you in the ordinary activities of life. And what Elijah had to learn was to rediscover the voice of God in the everyday, in the quiet whisper moments of life. And when he began to rehear the voice of God, what did he hear? Well, look at verse 13. And the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Elijah, you've gotten burned out. I've fed you, I've given you water, I've given you rest. You've spent time with me. Now you need to get back to doing what I called you to do. And if you've gotten back into the personal disciplines and you're re-engaged in your personal relationship with God and you're hearing the voice of God, then you need to get back to following the purposes of God. And you experience the presence of God by following the purposes of God. Here is my challenge to you. Stop running from the very things God's called you to. Some of you, you're running away from taking responsibility and you need to be running toward taking responsibility. Here is something powerful. Imagine God would give you the blessings that you wish for in life. Imagine you could pray right now and you could ask for blessings from God and God answered. 
what would those blessings look like? Very often, the blessings of God look a lot like hard work. Every one of my kids are a blessing, but five kids, a lot of hard work. Too often, God's blessings look a lot like hard work. So your job is going well. You've got more work than you know what to do with. God's blessings look a lot like hard work. Stop running from it and start seeing what you're calling a burden as a blessing. So you need to reframe the frustration and start thanking God. Learn to celebrate first instead of complain first because what you're calling a burden is actually a blessing. So start thanking God for his abundant blessings in your life that you're running from and you're trying to escape from. God is blessing you and you're thinking it's a burden. And after you celebrate, take a pause because maybe what's causing frustration is a stretching. And that stretching is exposing the areas of weakness that God wants to strengthen so he can put more blessing on your life because the reward for hard work is more work. Some of you are like, wait, what? Jesus tells two parables and he tells a parable about the faithful servant who worked hard and God said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, let me give you more. And some of you, you've been faithful with a little bit of blessing that God has put in your life and now you're frustrated because God is putting more blessing on your life and you're like, wait, I wanna run away, stop running. Start running toward the blessings of God in your life. Blessings look a lot like hard work, but be faithful, work hard. God is blessing you. Enjoy it, celebrate it, reframe the frustration. God is stretching you to strengthen you so he can pour more blessing on your life. He wants to make you better so you can be a blessing to others. Where are you at right now? Some of you, you've been running hard and you've been running scared and you've been trying to be the fuel of your own life. It's time for you to slow down and pause and hear a whisper. Whether you're watching with us online or you're gonna watch this later in the week or you're with us right now, can I encourage you to quiet your spirit? I believe that God's spirit is here and wants to speak to you in a whisper. Maybe close your eyes right now and just begin to pray. Some of you, you've been trying to be the, your own fuel and you need to find a place where you can meet Jesus who wants to be the bread of life, who wants to be your living water, who wants to be your true rest. And the way you begin is by asking Jesus to become your Lord and Savior. You ask Jesus to forgive you of sin and make you new. And if that's where you're at right now, I wanna pray with you. But I wanna ask you to respond first. If, if that's where you're at and you're saying, I, I, wanna, I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus right now. Would you just raise your hand real high and say, yeah, Patrick, that's me. That's where I'm at. Don't be shy. Man, God wants to meet you in a powerful way. Some of you guys, you've been your own fuel for too long and you've been burning yourself out. It's time for you to tap into a source that comes from heaven. You need Jesus in your life. Would you just pause when you raise your hand right now and say, yeah, that's me. If you're online with us, can I encourage you to indicate to one of our pastors online that you're making that commitment because we wanna pray with you. For those of you that raise your hand, let me lead you and I wanna pray over you right now. Jesus, thank you that you came to be our source. 
to transform us. And right now, all of those individuals that raised their hand are making this decision. The places that are shattered and broken, God, would you come and would you meet them in a powerful way? Would you give them a new heart? Would you give them spiritual life? And Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill their life so that you would become the fuel of life? Would you forgive them of sin and give them this new life? And now, Lord, for every one of us, Father, we don't want to keep running on our own. We want to do this in your strength. And so would you meet us here in the gentle whisper of your love. Remind us that you are for us, not against us. That there's never anything we could do that would ever impress you and make you love us more. That you love us right where we are. You love us exact for exactly who we are. And you're forgiving us and you're strengthening us right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.